0: Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vakalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And my guest is Nick Brooks. He is out with a brand new YA thriller. This one is called Promise Boys. It is available everywhere. And, you know, you throw the term YA on it, and I don't want anybody to think that all of this is for kids. It just happens to be about some youth. And so, Nick, set this up for me because the setting of this Novel where this murder happened, this thriller. It's set in one of these charter schools in D.C., and that's not something I think is really familiar to a lot of us in the Midwest. So, can you kind of explain what, what the setting is for the story?
1: Absolutely. So, this, the setting is Urban Promise Prep. It's an all boys uh, charter school alternative school, which means these particular kids have had trouble uh, navigating traditional classroom settings, right? So, it could be academic, it could be behavioral, uh, but for whatever case, they needed to. You know, they need a little more structure. Um, some teachers will say they needed a, a little extra love, right? <laughs> and so um, they go to this school where this principal is super, super tough on these kids. Um, and like, like you mentioned, he, he turns up tragically, tragically killed uh, one afternoon after school, and three boys who attend the school emerge as suspects in the crime, and they'll have to figure out exactly what happened to clear their names.
0: Well, the that- the, uh, the three boys, JB, Ramon, and Trey, I really liked each one of these individual characters. And what I took away from it is that the story that is portrayed, the way, you've, the way you've written this book is from different perspectives. And so the story that's portrayed, what we see of them at school, is not who they are at home, is not who they are in their social activities and things like that. So how did you take the pains to write this in a way that explained that people have different faces they wear for different places and uh, our our prejudging of them is really misplaced because that's not who they really are.
1: Uh, you, you hit it right. You hit it right on the head. I mean, you know, me working with kids in D.C., particularly working with, with the young black boys that I did, <clears throat> I, I would see it all the time where uh, teachers would, would judge kids. And, and I'll be honest, there were times where, I may have misjudged a, a kid or misjudged their situation, and you never know what, what, what is happening, right? And and that was kind of the takeaway for me coming out of the classroom. I'll never forget a time where, uh, I'll go on a little anecdote here because I know we have a little more time, but uh, food in our classroom kept going missing from different kids, like lunch boxes, right? Um, every day there'd be a kid who we'd go to lunch and there was something missing. Um, so one day uh, I took it upon myself to to kind of wait around and see what was going on. Um, I saw a kid go in the classroom. I went in the classroom, and sure enough, they were taking food, not, not from another kid at the time, they were actually taking it from, from my desk. And so, you know, I got them, I, I took them to the principal. I got them in trouble, um, and, that, and, that, and that child got suspended, right? They were suspended for three days. Um, the principal came up to me on the second day and said, uh, do you know that this particular child And the only way I know is because they've still been in the parking lot even though the child was suspended. And I got here on the second that it was suspended that morning and went out there and and I found out. And so this child was taking food to take back to her family after school, right? And so it was, I I mean, and that's just one example just off the top of the head, but I saw things like that all the time where kids were being misjudged because we didn't know their situation. Um, and teachers, a lot of times, don't take the time to to know the whole child. They don't take the time to know what's going on at home. And so for me, I wanted to really put that in this book. All of these kids, for whatever reason, these teachers have preconceived notions, or they only see one one side of the story. And just like you
0: said, when these kids go home, they're just kids, and they're dealing with all sorts of things. And so for me, it was really important to depict that. What I really enjoyed, what grabbed me right away, and it wasn't so much your narrative, it was a part of an essay that you put at the beginning of the book, and I took a line out of it that the... Well, two lines in particular. One is that uh, the truth is schools don't really teach anything except how to obey orders. And the other line is, although teachers do care and do work very hard, the institution is psychopathic. It has no conscience. This idea that schools teach kids really to obey orders and that's about it, it's not a new philosophy. I mean, George Carlin hit on this 20 years ago in one of his stand-up specials, but the absolute idea that kids must obey orders and don't question anything. What is that philosophy doing to the generations that are coming out of the schools now?
1: It's turning them into robots. I mean, It's stripping away a lot of their identity. It's stripping away a lot of their passion. um, And it's stripping away their ability to think for themselves. Um, They're not able to operate in ways that serve them. I'll give you another quick example, (laughs) just because I'm full of them. Um, But when I was a kid, I, I got in a lot of trouble because I would walk around in class. I couldn't do my work sitting down. I had to move around. So, of course, all of a sudden, I was diagnosed with all of these different things, right? Um, And then fast forward, when I was an educator, I had a student who was the exact same way. And at the time, it was my first year teaching. I had a co-teacher. And he had been teaching for years, years. But he wasn't from D.C. like I was. right? I was from the city. I knew these kids. He was from, from Texas. And, you know, he had been teaching for a while. But again, he didn't know these particular students. But we had a student who could not work in their seat Although the student was so bright, he was clearly bright. And again, uh, my, my co-teacher, you know, wanted to, wanted to reprimand the student. And I told him that, you know, I told him my story. Um, and we came up with a plan. You know, we came up with a plan in action for, just particularly for this student, and it worked, it worked wonders. The student was able to thrive. And that's just an example of, you know, when you make everybody the same, everybody doesn't operate the same. And so when you ask, what is it doing to the kids? Well. It's, uh, it's a huge disadvantage because some of them are not able to operate in the ways that, that the teacher or the administrator thinks that all the students should operate, and we're not allowing them to reach their full
0: potential when we do that. I'm chatting with Nick Brooks about his brand-new thriller, Promise Boys. It is available everywhere, and it's a fantastic read. I read it in a couple hours one night. It's a, it's a quick read, and it's a, it's a great story it tells. Nick, one of the other things I took away from this, and I always think of what-ifs, and in this situation... If, the princi- if it had been anybody other than the principal or a teacher at this school that was killed, I don't think the D.C. police would have given two wits if it was a student that was killed. Was that something that went through your mind as you decided who was going to be the victim here? Because I don't think they would care if it was a student. A hundred
1: percent. I mean, and that's why one of the things um, in the book, how everything is told from these multiple perspectives, you have everybody who, who looks at the kids as villains everybody looks at more, not everybody, but for the most part, the community looks at more as a hero, right, because he's a principal. That means, automatically mean, means he's an upset setter uh, stand and finisher, um, and he's doing something positive for the community. And so you're totally right that because it was him who was the victim, um, the, the the case is, a, is approached with a with a different level of intensity. Um, so, yeah, that wasn't law for me at all, and it was definitely something that was done intentionally.
0: The other thing that I kind of thought about as I read the book is I see how the kids are treated in the school. And, I mean, some of the rule following is absolutely absurd, like a a kid having to walk along a straight line in a hallway when there's nobody else in a hallway, or otherwise he risks getting a demerit. And you get enough demerits, you end up in detention. And I kept thinking, what is the incentive for the kids to, for the schools to want to eventually expel these kids? Because I, I would think they make some good dough off of troubled youth being in their school. They do, but they make better though when the, when the when the kids are performing well, <laughs>
1: you know. Okay. So I, I, you know, again going back to my experience, I, I've I've seen it time and time again. If a, if a child isn't meeting the quota, then they're not hitting the grades, they're not getting accepted to college. Like these schools want to have, they want to have high statistics, right? They want to have, they want to be able to say ninety nine, a hundred percent college acceptance rate. They want to be able to say, uh, you know, whatever the. the You know, just through elementary school alone, I, I hit five different ones. <laughs> you know, so I bounced around a lot, um, and it's, it's not something that should be done to a child because it doesn't serve them. Um, you know, again, my thing is a lot of these things are being done because they serve the, the system, right? They serve the institution. Um, they don't serve the child, and so when you ask what's the incentive, that's it And, the dollar, and you hit it—the dollars. And when it, the better a school performs, the more money that comes in.
0: As you wrote this book with the kids, J.B. Ramon, you felt sorry for each of them in their own individual way, but what emotion does that bring you as a, a writer? I know they're fictionalized, but they're also, I'm certainly, I mean, their stories are, are all over the place, so how as a writer do you deal with the emotions of writing these characters? Uh, you know, a
1: little bit for me is therapeutic, because there's a lot of me in each of these each of kids, and so I wrote this at a time where things were, a lot was going on. I wrote this during pandemic 2020. You know, things are shut down. A lot of people are unsure of just life as we knew it. And um, for me, it was very emotional. Um, it was also very therapeutic, again, because I was reflecting a lot of my own experiences as a kid, you know, and so um, there were parts that were that were tough. Um, you know, I tried to even go back and, and, and reread uh, very, you know, recently here before, before it came out, that I didn't even get to.
0: Not only is it an entertaining thriller, it is also a very eye-opening piece of prose. The book is called Promise Boys. It's a thriller from by Nick Brooks. It's available everywhere. Check it out. Check out anything Nick does. He's got a film career going. He's got all kinds of stuff out there. Nick, fascinating book, and I thank you for joining me to talk about it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcast. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly, and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Lean on me when you're not.